Welcome to What's Your 20. I'm your host, Carl Figueredo, and today we're joined with Sky Daikin, the amazing non-union production designer. And first off, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. What is a production designer in your eyes? What does a production designer do? Who is the production designer? So production design or the production designer is basically just somebody who's in charge of the overall look of the film. Mm -hmm. So you're basically have like all the departments that are like visual under you so like costumes props technically like graphic design that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but yeah so do you link up hand in hand with costumes for the most part yes we they kind of like do their own thing and run their own ship but we generally are like on the same look vibe wise if that makes sense oh so you'll make something like a like a lookbook or something for production and art team and they'll look onto that to try to create a similar vibe. Yeah, definitely. But are you the head of department for them? No. Okay. They just like, I mean, it really depends on the production sometimes, but usually they like fall under your umbrella, but they're self-sustaining. Got you. So walk me through, you've picked up a script or you pick up a project. First, how do you choose your projects? Um, Usually, I mean, in the... The, the end of the stick at the end is sometimes it's like money. Yes. So like you're like, oh, I haven't worked for a while, but this one pays. So we're definitely doing that. Yeah. But usually when you have like a little bit more uh, time and like not relying on money, you kind of just pick by like what interests you and what mm -hmm. you haven't done and what ends up being like good for your portfolio. Gotcha. And so you, I've worked many a things with you nowadays and I know the things I haven't worked with you. You've also done a plethora of more things. So your portfolio is probably pretty bomb at this stage and you've probably done almost everything under the sun. Are, can you tell me about productions you wouldn't do and what you look out for when choosing a production if you're like, this is a red flag, I shouldn't be doing this. Gotcha. I usually look at projects as red flags when they don't have like a really clear labor breakdown mm -hmm. and they don't understand the difference between set deck and props is usually a pretty big red flag because that means you're going to be doing both at the same time, which is usually chaos. I'm sure Gabrielle would agree. Mm -hmm. um, and then just generally like, who, I don't want to say who's employed, but like how many well other structured departments they have. Yeah. And then that's usually what you kind of gauge it off of. And of course, the script. Cool. We'll tell you a lot. So you mentioned about labor breakdown. Do you tend to ask the producers about what your labor breakdown would be initially, or do you come out with a budget? Um, if it's like a smaller indie, I'll usually just be like, what can you guys do? And then we'll work mm -hmm. it out from there. Mm -hmm. um, for certain projects that have like bigger budgets, you'd be like, this is my starting rate and this is my crew's starting mm -hmm. rate. And then you kind of like negotiate a little bit with the producer to try to like get the best for you and your team. But I mean, sometimes that doesn't always work out, but. And what do you do in those scenarios where it doesn't, where, where it, it won't work out? Um, I mean, if it's like, for the most part, usually we try to like come to a middle ground and like when it's indie, everybody's kind of a little bit more down to play. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's like, you're only getting two people and they're making like $50 a day. And then they're, it's just like a realistic, like I can't ask people to work for that, especially if there's other stuff going on. So you kind of just have to yeah. know what your team is worth. Have you ever been on a project that maybe like two weeks before filming or even like a week before filming, you got offered the best bees knees deal. And they were like, here's like $5,000 just for you to come onto this. 
And you were on a passion project that you really enjoyed being a part of, but it just wasn't paying. Um, I mean, what I've done in the past is usually like, if it's a really good opportunity that pays really well, usually you kind of have to like at least consider and figure out how you do it. And in the past, I've kind of approached the passion film and be like, hey, like I don't mind staying on as production designer, but what I can do is hire on like an art director who's really good and can be there the full time and then I can pop in and out, but I like, I'm going to take this project, but I don't want to drop you guys. And then usually we kind of come to an understanding or an agreement. And who do you usually begin to tell when this is happening? So would you go to the producers, directors, what, what happens there? Um, usually it kind of depends on the relationship I have with the people mm-hmm. on the passion film. I would usually go to the directors first, but I'd give or sorry, the producers first, but I'd give the director a bit of like a heads up, just being like, hey, this thing is happening. I don't know how it's going to shake out yet, but I'm trying to do what's best for your project. And sometimes what's best for that project is passing it on to somebody who has more time. 100%. Because I, I what I tend <laughs> to see is like if it is a lower budget project and the key that the, the thing that's making up for the money is the time. And if you can't give them more time, then they'd need more money but they can't get the more money so it is more time so i do see that being an added bonus like when you're going up to them like look man i just can't be there but i can bring the next best thing onto this that will be the next best thing to elevate your project exactly and i get like a little bit too invested in projects i have a really bad time like letting them go yeah yeah i feel that i feel that so much it's happened to me a few times when i've been ading and i had to go up to them and it was just like i had all the free time at one point and now three projects are asking me to be on for the exact same day how do i choose yeah so I've been on projects with you that you've been able to balance multi-projects at the same time. How do you begin to have that conversation with your producers about saying, like, I I will be on your project, but I'm also doing more projects at the same time? Or is it, as you say, like, once once you pick up that project, you just have the conversation later? Or what, what happens there? What's your process? Um, when it comes to, like, balancing multiple projects at the same time, I find, like, brutal honesty is the best way to go Mm -hmm. just be like look man this is a situation i've got myself in it is a bit of a pickle i understand how it looks from like your standpoint but bringing in the like union rules kind of thing it's not typical for a production designer to be there physically for most projects usually they've got multiple down the pipe and they're just doing all the prep and then they'll like hire a really good team and move on so like applying that logic and then having a really good team to Mm -hmm. like be there for you really helps and then just being so well organized that it like just goes off flawless nice. doesn't always happen but like <laughs> we try <laughs> that, that's what we aim for every time <laughs> how do you choose your team then so like you mentioned that one big <laughs> part of it is having a good team that will like have your back and when when you're not there he you mentioned it off the pod that you have a baby and you don't want to just let your baby drown when you're not there how do you choose your team Um, I mean, it's usually just, like, people you've worked with a lot and then people who kind of, like, understand your style and, like, you just get along with who kind of, like, have, like, the same way of thinking and organizing and doing as you do. Mm -hmm. Um, I work with a couple people who it's, like, you could just tell them what to do and then leave and come back and it'll be done how you want it. So it's just kind of, like, working with a team you know and then whenever you get new people, just kind of, like, walking them through it and then... Mm-hmm. hoping for the best okay so break break me down your prep stage with your team and break down your team itself because i i've worked in the union well so i know like the the different breakdowns of who's in what department but for anyone who's new to this let's break down what non-union production design would be and like the elements of your team that you would typically have gotcha i mean 
for like non-union you usually just go like production designer and then you'd have a set decorator and then you'd have drivers dressers is mm-hmm. how it works out in like an ideal um non-union world yeah um so yeah usually like your set decorator is somebody who works with you quite often and like just kind of like knows it and gets it and rolls along with you um and then dressers are just kind of your friends who you know are really good who like are willing to come out and help out and hang out for sure for sure and then do you usually choose your driver or does the production choose your driver um i usually try to choose my drivers sometimes they're a little bit more like we don't trust you we have our own which is totally fair with like production vehicles so no no that makes sense because you don't want to bring on someone and they crash that vehicle happened to me on a project (laughs) (laughs) well what happens in that scenario like uh does it go onto your i mean this is sort of off topic but does it go onto your record does it like does the insurance cover everything? How does it work for a non-union production when you crash your vehicle? As I very recently recently learned, um, usually like minor things will go to like production insurance because they're yeah. the one renting the truck. It also kind of depends on like the company, so don't quote me on that one hundred percent. I mean, if you like run someone off the road or run a red light and like cause damage just by like negligence, then yeah. it's kind of like your problem. Mm-hmm. But if it's just a general accident, usually it's production because like. Sometimes you're driving on a street and there's a tree that hangs low that you just don't yeah. see and you smush the box a little bit. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> no, no. Hey. Speaking from this one's the experience, oh, yeah. eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, because, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think, like, one thing that that I've seen situations in is when the production will ask their production designer, like, look, you don't have anyone to drive the truck. You are the person to drive the truck. And then what they don't know is like well like if i crash said truck and i am not comfortable in driving it who is at fault so i think that's a very handy thing to know for especially like anyone who's watching this who wants to get into production design on the lower levels this is something you may encounter on a note on that like anything you're uncomfortable doing definitely don't do it because i did that and then had that fun question like conversation of like so like i hit the truck a little bit but i also told you so yeah (laughs) so yeah it's very good to like like let them be known that oh I I don't drive one ton trucks I drive maximum maybe a a, v, a van or a exactly. transit van but uh, bucks trucks that's where I draw the line you make me drive it accidents your fault yep that's pretty much how the conversation <laughs> went before and after so oh, perfect so okay so uh, we've talked a little bit about the breakdown of your team if you were to hire a new uh, art uh, let me go back. If you were to hire your art director, and let's say it's someone you haven't worked with, what do you look for? Um, usually I just look for, like, people who've worked on similar projects or just, like, really good recommendations from people I usually work with. Mm-hmm. Um, the indie community is really, like, it's big, but it's very small. Yep. So everybody kind of knows everybody. And, sure. like, I usually just look for people who kind of, like, vibe well over a beer and then we kind of break it down and... Yeah, go from there. Nice. You started nice and casual, and then you're like, all right, let me hit you with the hardest day of your life. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Explain the shit show, and then we're going to fly off the seat of our pants. So we talked about on non-unions that you'll usually be there the whole time. Let's talk about the hours. Because I know for, like, most non-union sets, we look at a 12-hour day. Well, 12-and-a-half-hour day, essentially. But... The art team most of the time have to be there to set up beforehand. And then that usually means you don't get a wrap day in some scenarios. What happens in your case? How do you deal with it? Do you have a structure? Are you the structure? <laughs> what happens? 
Uh, I mean, it's getting better now. Mm -hmm. um, getting a little bit more firm in our boundaries of like making sure productions know it's realistic. But like a big part of being a non-union production designer is like you are often the first person there by hours and the last person there by hours. Mm -hmm. So like you really have to like kind of mind your time and like there are some hard days that you can't really get out of, yeah. which is shitty. And sometimes productions don't actually see that because mm -hmm. then to them it's just like, this is the thing. We're doing the thing. We're shooting the shooting and then we're leaving. So they don't really understand that like yeah. a 12, hour, 12 and a half hour day for some is like a 16 hour day for other people. Yeah. And now like knowing what you know and how far you've come, what would you do to try to avoid that in the future? Um, Usually now, I guess. It, like when it comes to productions who like it looks like it's going to be a 16 17 hour day just like trying to be really clear with them like this is what they're asking for and mm -hmm. like pushing for a prep day it doesn't always happen with low budget indie yeah. stuff but just making sure that like they're very aware of what they're asking of you and then trying to like get out of it sure. <laughs> in a sense of like efficiency and compromise okay and for a team that's new and uh I, I see this happen a lot where they can't afford to pay for an extra set decorator or an extra art person. How do you feel about when they say, well, don't worry, we'll have a PA help you or we'll have someone not in the art team who's never done art before. This person's available for you. How do you feel about that? Um, I have mixed feelings about it because mm -hmm. sometimes like on productions, like that is the best that they can do. Yeah. And like sometimes that person ends up being like fantastic and great. And then sometimes that person ends up being like a massive hindrance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of difficult. Um, but I think just being clear with productions, like this is an art heavy thing. And if you give me a PA who doesn't know how to do it, it could not, like it could just still be the same amount of town as me doing it myself. Yeah. But yeah, it's usually goes one way or another. Mm -hmm. Cause I look at it like whenever I help uh, Gabrielle out in the art team, I'm always like, look, not an artistic bone in my body. And I also know where nothing goes. So for her to bring someone on like me, it would be, I can lift the thing, but you have to also tell me where I live from, where I live to, where I place. Yeah. <laughs> Which is essentially just micromanaging me at that point. And that's uh, not valuable for your time or my time. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, as I said, half of one, six of the other. Yeah. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's... So uh, if you look at me on your uh, your call sheet and you're like, Carl is helping you out as an art assistant, you'll run the other way. Or you'll be like, look, I'll do it myself. I would probably assume that Gabrielle has, like, trained you at least a little well oh. and then go from there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I hope so, too, sometimes. But enough about my relationship. Let's talk more about uh, production designing. So when creating a budget or... Let's take it back. When you do your art breakdown, what is an art breakdown and how do you do it, I guess? So basically you rip out like Google Sheets or like an Excel document and basically like scene by scene, you break down what's in it, what's scripted, mm -hmm. and then what would be there that's not scripted. So you're basically trying to like imagine a room within the style that you're going for and then just fill it. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to like list out every single thing and how many and then like you have to break it down by like price. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, sometimes you break it down by like how long you think it would dress that and then base it off of locations. So if a location is half full, then great. If it's empty, then it like doubles your budget. Yeah. So it's paperwork and Excel sheets and... Yeah, So like that would... In, in my head, like thinking about it, it differs from the ADing perspective that I just pull out anything that's in the physical script. You go the one step further and you're like, well, this is the type of vibe of the room. 
this would be with the extra things that I need and this is the extra cost that it goes to for production if I were to get this. Yeah, basically. Who do you send it to? Uh, usually the producers. Yeah. Um, directors don't really care unless there's like pictures and mm -hmm. like style and all that stuff. So again, anybody who cares about like money and then of course the AD team. So they kind of have an understanding of what you're yeah. going for. But Oh, cool. And then they can understand the time it might take you to, to set that up. Yeah. Oh, uh, does your relationship with your director, how does, how does that usually flow? Every director is different. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you get directors who like really, really care about art and really want to be involved all the time. Like Rachel, she's great. She loves like seeing things. She likes like having like thoughts and feelings and she loves like working the characters into the art. And sometimes you get directors who are like, just put something in front of me and I will film it. I don't give a fuck what it is. Just have it not look bad and it'll be fine. And how, it, for a director you haven't worked with, how do you gauge that? Usually in like the first initial meeting. Yeah if they have like tons to say and like you ask a couple questions and if they have like really good answers and like their own references and you're like okay I know this guy kind of like has a look in mind that we want and then we're going to try to find like a common ground between my look and their look and match mm -hmm. it and then there's some directors who are like yeah it's a casino yeah. and they're like <laughs> what kind and they're like the like poker kind and you're like okay <laughs> okay that's sweet I, I get some chips yeah, yeah cool. chips yeah yeah and you know there's like waitresses and you're like okay <laughs> cool. yeah so uh in a hypothetical, you have, or in a commercial world, so you do a commercial because that would be non-union as well. You have a director, you have a producer, you have an agency, and you might have the creative producer. If they're all battling ideas, what do you do? That's again a kind of a hard one where you kind of have to like gauge it a little bit, mm -hmm. like position-wise because sometimes like the creative director especially when it comes to brands will yeah. have a little bit more say mm -hmm. than a director because the director is trying to do like the storytelling and the, like the visuals whereas yeah. like a creative director is trying to be like this is what's best for the brand this is what the brand needs mm -hmm. this will conflict with the brand you know brand 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 mm -hmm. um so kind of it's like a tricky situation of like feeling it out usually who's ever like paying for it yeah has yeah, yeah. the upper hand for sure but yeah. usually you try to make best friends with director and kind of go from there and just try to be friends with everyone and hope for the best oh so but in a situation that they are like in-house arguing because essentially they would be all of them would be your bosses how do you <laughs> if they're going behind each other's back and they're they're each individually telling you like hey this is what you need to do this is what i need from you how would you navigate that situation um those situations are not super common but when they do come up it's like a massive pain in the ass mm -hmm. um my preferred method is just bull in the china shop i like put them all in the same conversation and be yeah. like this is what i'm doing you guys figure it out and get back to me because i'm not going to be responsible for pissing someone off no. if like we can have this conversations as adults now yeah um it's just like a really good way to cover your own ass when it comes to stuff like that yeah communication communication is key over communicate <laughs> yeah. get it in writing over communicate oh perfect yeah. in writing no i love that because it I think it, 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 as you're saying, it's not something that tends to happen, but there are scenarios where it does happen. And it's nice to know, like, what the process would be to, to I mean, to, to make the magic happen or to bring the baby to life on set instead of people, like, grabbing each of the baby's arm and ripping it apart. Yeah, and then asking you to glue it back together <laughs> yeah, in like, two hey, minutes. You know, why did you break baby? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, can you name... Oh, okay, this is a really fun question that I love asking. 
what is your make it or break it moment in film? And like, I like to ask this because I've had one where it's it's like I got there and everything went wrong under the sun. And I was like, is this really what I want to be doing with my life? Like, do if I have more days like this, will it crush me? What happens? Uh, have you had that? Have you experienced that? What, what, what's the deal here? Yeah, I definitely had a couple like, I don't want to say crying in the Ikea parking lot days, but like. Let's every, call it crying. <laughs> every once in a while you get yeah. there. It's either yeah. Ikea or Walmart. There is no in between. <laughs> um, sometimes after like a terrible day on set where it's really hard to like see people in a good way and like see the industry in a good way. I usually just take a nap <laughs> and then like circle back. Like, was it that bad? Was yeah. I overreacting? And sometimes it is that bad and people are terrible. Mm-hmm. Like ties in with the horror story. Oh my God, that day I wanted to die. But then like you wait it out, kind of like take a step back yeah. and then usually you'll have like a really terrible experience and the next one will be so good and it'll remind you like why you do this the people are great Mm -hmm. so it's kind of just like taking it day by day yeah doing the reminder of like like what brought you to that scenario in the first place and like like why you like film i assume like like what what keeps you going okay so we've mentioned this horse story (laughs) I would love to hear about this whole story and more so like when you're telling it, tell me about like how it influenced you as a uh, production designer as well. Okay. So I took a music video. Um, It was a country music video, Mm -hmm. which should have been my first red flag. (laughs) Like the people involved were really great, but it was just so low budget with such high demands that Mm -hmm. like everyone was kind of suffering a little bit and then everybody was just getting at each other. But basically we were shooting in the middle of like nowhere Langley. It was pissing rain the entire weekend um schedules just kept like shifting and changing and nobody really knew what was going on Mm. all the time nobody had really like looked at like the production design stuff we'd talked about or like thought about it so everything was like wrong on the day or they were like actually can we do this instead and you're like sure i'll just pull it out of my ass why not (laughs) it's like you're already stressed out and then things are going wrong and the fucking horse (laughs) so they were shooting in a barn with a horse and Mm. it was like this key thing but nobody got the horse it was in a pasture, oh. like a click down the road, and they <laughs> didn't have any trailers. So like, well, this horse has to be here, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and like, I've already cried in my car at this point. Yeah. Like, we are like, we are 10 shades of a mess, but like, we're still there. We're still trying. Yeah. And they're like, we need to go get the horse. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean get the horse? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, I have a plan. And then this is like the location manager yeah. who like deals with horses. She's like, so you're going to drive me down to the pasture. Okay. And I'm going to put the, the like thing on the horse, like the lead. Mm-hmm. And we're going to drive with the horse out the window down the highway going like 10 kilometers an hour. So I'm like <laughs> driving and there's a horse beside me <laughs> out the window. I'm trying not to scare the horse. <laughs> and my phone is going off because shit is going on. But there's, like, a semi behind me and a fucking horse. And I'm just, like, driving. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So we get back to set. They're, like, shooting in the horse. And I'm, like, gone. I'm, like, I hate film. I can't do this. This is the dumbest shit I've ever taken part of in my life. Yeah. Who okayed that? (laughs) I don't know. It was probably the worst thing I've ever done. Okay. And then speaking on that why did you accept the role of holding the horse? Was it because at the time you thought it was a... It was a design thing to have this horse and that's why you did it or? It was like a mixture of like everybody else is busy shooting mm-hmm. and I want to go home. So if somebody leaves that, you know, like I'm technically the least busy person here at this moment. Mm-hmm. But also I was the only person there who was comfortable around horses. So I'm like, okay, I got to do it. And then just nobody else was going to. 
That makes sense. It, yeah. it feels like in my eyes it should have been a situation that nobody brought the No, horse. no, but like me who's like, yeah, sure. Uh, this day I can't get any Let me so go. Let's go do it. <laughs> uh, dang, yeah. okay. That really sounds like a terrible encounter of the film industry and hopefully no one else has to deal with this whole situation. I really hope so. <laughs> um, and uh, let's talk about like ways that that could have potentially been avoided. Was there anything looking back on it that uh, you as a HOD could have done to to fix it? I I know from my experience, it's definitely not the production no, designer's no, no. fault that the the horse wasn't there. But please tell me, like like looking back on it, what you would have done differently in that situation? I think some of the things that like I struggle to do with like is I'm really bad for like assuming things. Like mm-hmm. I assumed somebody would have thought to bring the horse. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, oh, production must be handling that because like so just sometimes you really have to ask the like stupid repetitive questions because if you don't you end up like you know horse out the window crying in your car like it'll happen (laughs) so over communication is kind of key and you know me i ask all the stupid questions on sets (laughs) i remember even for the last project we did i was like i i had a moment where i was in the car and i like called up the sound designer i was like hey just so you know the main actor's costume wet the whole time. Wet the whole time. I don't know if that's any information you need, but costume wet the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, I I agree that that's like something every department should be able to take on board. Where it is like ask the stupid questions because even if you ask it, like you'll get the answer that you need, even if the person doesn't want to hear it, or you'll get a new question in their head that they didn't think to ask themselves and then the problem will be solved anyway. Exactly. And like, I love when people ask me stupid questions because sometimes you're so busy looking at the big picture that somebody's asking you like this tiny innocent question and you're like, shit, I forgot this and this and this and this and this and it kind of like saves your ass a little Mm -hmm. bit. So it is better to ask a stupid question than explain a stupid mistake. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so let's go more on to that. Let's say you're in the thick of it. You're... I know, having to build a horse and it's raining, it's pouring. It's just the shittiest situation. How do you usually deal with stress? And let's say it's someone from your team who's trying to learn, but they're trying to learn in the inopportune time. What what, what tends to happen? Um, I mean, stress is kind of a hard one because it's so situational. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the best thing to do is like just take five minutes to like, reorganize your shit and like realize that it is just a short film like you this is not the end of the world it sucks right now but like this time tomorrow you won't be in this situation anymore and you'll be laughing I mean crying laughing same thing (laughs) but like the best thing to do is just like try not to take that stress out on the people around you because it's already such like a stressful environment yeah and like turning that stress into like toxicity just doesn't make anything worse or better ever Mm -hmm. so no definitely and I guess, like, at the end of the day, that person just wants to help learn and maybe, like, they look up to you and they want to do what you're doing eventually. It's so easy to, like, when you're stressed to, like, just vent that anger to anything around, Mm -hmm. especially if they're not the problem because then you just get to, like, stress, talk, and, like, be angry about it. But, like, at the end of the day, like, they're usually – the people around you in your department are usually the people who are, like, catching that no Mm -hmm. matter if it's their fault or not. So you just kind of got to, like – Especially if you're in the art department, they catch so much slack on set sometimes where it's just like, man, we need to go faster. So art department, you got to go faster. No one else. I, <laughs> I've, I've heard this on set before. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever go up to them and uh, like, let's say 
and say it's the AD who's going up to you and like, bro, I need this done in like five minutes. I know you told me you need 20 minutes, but you got five minutes to do it. What happens in those situations? What, what's the chain of command like? Would it be you going up? Would it be your art director or would it be the set designer at the stage? Um, so I would usually, I mean, it kind of depends on the situation, but usually the people like the person who's in the highest position will kind of be the one mm -hmm. to be like, look, just because like higher the position, less easy to scream at. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and like in the heat of the moment, yeah. sometimes shit does not go that way. Yeah. But usually like the highest position will go and be mm -hmm. like, realistically, you need this done in five minutes. We need 20. So yeah. we can call it an even 10 and get what you get or yeah. we can like reevaluate. No, wicked. Usually what ends up happening is the art department hauls ass, gets it done in like 10 minutes, yeah. and then lighting's like, okay, we need 45. And you're like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that does tend to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, when we're back, we're going to be talking about a little bit more about mental health and the hierarchy and what the hierarchy means to you. But we're going to take a fiver. Great. Awesome. So here we are. We are back with Sky. And Sky, before we talked about uh, what a production designer is, sort of your breakdown of your team, uh, how to deal with some sticky situations, what I'd love to ask you is, first and foremost, are you someone who likes teaching brand new people? Uh, actually, surprisingly, yes. When I was first started in film, I was actually like a TA in mm -hmm. film, like for special or for production design. So yeah. yeah end up doing it more than often actually awesome so like when you do a call out you tend to put like i have room on this project to bring in a, a completely green person or or if they want to come volunteer i can at least show you things to do yeah definitely um there's like a lot of well not a lot but every once in a while somebody like hits me up on instagram and is like hey like the next time you're doing a project can i just come hang out and like watch and it's like if the project is like an easy project for learning mm -hmm. you're like yeah come hang out like yeah. if we can pay you we'll do our best to pay you yeah. but sometimes there's projects where it's like this is not going to be a learning experience this is just going to be our gritter teeth and get through it so yeah. the next time but no definitely i've had even those experience like it's going to be shit yep. you're going to learn a lot <laughs> it's going to suck but you'll learn a lot <laughs> trial by fire yeah definitely what do you tend to like when you bring on someone for the first time what what will you get them to do? Is it like something easy or you'll walk me through it? Um, usually, I mean, depending on what level they're, if they're like green, mm -hmm. green, you kind of just start with like, this is what you'd first start doing and like walk them through a dress. Mm -hmm. um, so like reset photos and kind of get them with like just the, the standard stuff that kind of translate through almost every every set you're on. Mm -hmm. And then kind of depending on what you're doing that day, usually you start them off with like the easy stuff yep. and then kind of like gauge their skills and then work up from there. Uh, so it'll be like me, pick up thing, bring thing here. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, you're like, this truck, truck back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Yeah. no. laughs> Perfect. So uh, going on to that, uh, do you ever teach them about your breakdowns in the moment or? Um, there's a couple that I've taught about it. Most of them want just, like, hands-on experience, um, like, how to break into the art department, and they want to, like, dress or buy and then move their way up and, like, in time get to production design. But, like, for the couple who have hit me up and been like, I want to do production design, then it'll be like, okay, cool, I'm going to send you, like, my breakdown. I'm going to send you the script. And if you want to try, mm -hmm. like, breaking it down, don't look at mine until you're done yours. But, like, this is what you do. This is what you're looking for. And yep. then we can do the thing and then we can talk about it and we can kind of like go into the, like the nuances of it a little yeah. bit but wicked and 
were when you were trained up to do production design, was your breakdown something that someone had passed to you, or did you just learn how to do it? And you're like, this is what I need, and this is what they keep asking me for. So I went to VFS and like kind of like taught you the very basics of like, this is what needs to be on there as your base, and then you kind of like extend from there. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely like doing it more often, you kind of like learn a little bit more like real world stuff of what would actually be there and kind of mm-hmm. grow from there. So mm-hmm. usually the first like learning breakdowns are not so great, but it's learning. So cool. so you're someone who did film school. So I like one thing I would personally like to know now you're five years into this. You've done production designing for a long time. What would you do if you would do anything differently? How would you start off again? Would you like, were you like film school, do that, learn the basics, then grow from here? What's the thoughts? Film school is kind of a, a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, the film school I want to, production design was like the bottom of the like sought after courses. So it mm-hmm. didn't really get a lot of like funding or like much at all. So you kind of like really had to work for it if you wanted it. And like yeah. you had to create your own opportunities and like fight hard to like actually learn stuff. Yep. Um, if I could go back and do it over again, I would just. I would go about the whole thing differently and just, like, actually look into what the industry uses a little bit more and, like, what was up to date and go after that instead of having to, like, learn some stuff that's kind of outdated mm-hmm. and then kind of, like, extrapolate from there. Mm-hmm. But it's all, it's also a hard thing to do. Definitely. So you're someone who has uh, had a hand in the union as well and, you know, of the union and the different nuances that the union has towards us. Uh, what are your thoughts on the different realms and, like, like how we're progressing as a film collective, um, like union versus non-union. Yeah. Or I love the union for like its support system yeah. and like how many opportunities it creates. But the downfall to the union, in my opinion, is like it creates those opportunities for people in the union and actually breaking into the union in the position you want to be is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Like, just getting the, through the IATSE, like, set deck department and then actually getting calls for shows is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit troublesome. And that's my big downfall with the union, in my opinion. Yeah. They're going to chase me with pitchforks after that. No, like, no. <laughs> and then, like, the union world is, like, being a, a non-union sorry, production designer, you, like, it sucks a lot of the time. And you really, really have to want it. Mm. Um, and, like, again, fight for it and, like, work your way that. But, like... You meet a lot of really cool people and it's more like creative and you get some cool projects and like it's just a little bit different way of doing things and thinking, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a mixed bag of like where you want to end up. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Does So like one thing that I don't know, it's, it's sort of the unseen of the art department where and when I say unseen, I think like the amount of hours compared to the amount of pay you might get. Uh, so I know like in a lot of the times I'll say it's like a two day production or something. You might get four, like two days pay for the being on the set, maybe one day of rap and maybe two days of prep, but you, I'm assuming you do way more work than those five days. How do you manage your hours? How do you, how, how would you, if you could like looking back on it, would you manage it differently? How do you manage it now? Um, when I was first starting out, it, like, mm-hmm. took over my life completely. Like, mm-hmm. if there was a project, like, a month down the line, I was like, great, if I do it now, it'll be easier then. And then I would just, like, steamroll myself and, like, hyper-focus on it yeah. for a long time. As I've gotten older and, like, a little bit more, like, I don't want to say wise to the world because I'm still a dumbass, but, mm-hmm. like, you kind of have to, like, stop yourself and be like, 
this project is paying me for four days. Do I really want to demote, like devote a month of my life to it? Mm-hmm. And you kind of like set boundaries for yourself. Like if I'm doing a short film, I'm only going to prep it for a week before because that's what everybody else is doing. Yeah. So like why would I make myself work for free for so much longer mm-hmm. if I don't have to? But then again, there's projects that sneak in there and you're like really passionate about and you just yeah. kind of like do it for fun. Yeah. Which is also a lot sometimes. But. <laughs> <laughs> like I was giving so much time and effort to you at the beginning, but then I got a paid project. Now I have to strip back, and now you're mad at me for doing a little that. bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no. Um, no, that's interesting because it's it's something that I also find I struggle with because it's like it's it is one of those. Oh, I'm coming onto it as a passion project, and I know you're only gonna give me like one day of prep, and that one day of prep I really can't do that much, especially if we're gonna be on shoot for two days. So realistically, I've got weeks and weeks of preps that you want me to do, but you're not going to pay me for it. Exactly. Um, so in which case, I would just say, try paying non-union workers a little bit more if and value can, their yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's, that's, that's great to hear. Uh, so one one thing that I love to do on this podcast is talking about the mental health side of things and what in particular, your department might face and uh, how how you deal with it yourself. So is it, if it's okay, if it's something you'd love to share on, I think that us sharing will get our voices out there and also help our other departments to realize like there's a person in here. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the biggest like mental health struggle that I struggle with yep. um, is you kind of get into this like, because it's such like a, a rat race mm-hmm. to like, improve and like build your career and like get higher up and better projects you have a hard time turning them down mm-hmm. like oh if i turn down this project and this director could be promising and could get like yeah. this and this and this and then you kind of just come this cycle where you do everything and everything like you want to put 100 percent to because like it has to look good and mm-hmm. it takes all your time and then you realize that you're just like burning yourself out and completely like stripping your life of like yeah. everything that's not work related for something that may or may not work off yeah So, like, one of the things you really, really have to, like, sit down and, like, remind yourself is, like, you can't really sacrifice today for tomorrow, Mm -hmm. which I have a really hard time doing with. And Mm -hmm. I'll, like, stress myself out to the point of, like, not sleeping, not eating, Mm -hmm. and just having it completely take over your life. And then, you know, the project ends and you're like, great, it's over. And then you just die Mm. a little bit. Yeah. And that's what you don't want to be doing. No, no. no. (laughs) Just really burning yourself out for the end of a project. So it sounds like you're you're very aware of this process that is taking place. Is there stuff that you're doing or you could recommend if someone is listening out there that is doing the exact same thing? What would you recommend to help them out or like what should they do differently or how should they look at it? I mean, as I said before, like the not sacrificing today for tomorrow, like at the end of the day, you kind of have to realize that like it's a job. It's not your life. Mm -hmm. Like you are so many things outside of this. And like usually when you're into film and you're getting in like new and you're trying to like build those connections, like the first thing you sacrifice is your hobbies. Mm -hmm. And then you're three years into it and you're like, holy shit, I have no hobbies anymore. There's nothing I like to do outside of work. So you really have to set like boundaries with the productions you're working on and the like boundaries with yourself yeah, to make sure that you're not just completely like intersecting those two avenues mm-hmm. until you realize that like that's kind of all you do. Well, that's a that's a big thing, especially like as you're saying in the art department, we don't realize that you might be doing a 16 hour day or an 18 hour day. How do you manage your work life balance then? Um, For a long time, there was no work life balance. It was like I was so busy and trying to climb the ladder so fast that I was like, a 12 hour day I can't get this done in 12 hours Mm -hmm. but if I take sleep out of the equation I have 24 hours and then you're like (laughs) 
So, and then you kind of like start compromising yeah. things like that. And then it's just really easy to like fall off the ladder of like, you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not taking, you're not even doing stuff you enjoy. Like there was definitely a point in my life where like my mom felt that she couldn't call me because she knew that I wouldn't pick up the phone because I would be just so involved yeah. in anything. And then like the pandemic happens or a strike happens and yeah. then you're stuck with yourself and you're like, fuck, like I don't. I haven't made time for my friends. Mm. I don't have hobbies. Like, I don't know what to do with myself because, like, I'm not moving towards something. And then that also ties into, like, the fun capitalistic game we're all playing, trying to survive in our 20s. But, yeah, yeah it's, a, like, a really nasty snake hole that you can fall into. Mm. And you don't often recognize that that's where you're headed until you're, like, at the bottom of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then it's like, oh, I'm at the bottom. How do I crawl myself out of this? And, like, how do I usually live life when I'm yeah. doing this film work? Mm -hmm. One uh, great person that I work with that I've had on this podcast, Marvin Malwar, who is fantastic with knowing how much work is is too much. And even like with me, it's like he values uh, like th this is realistically how much we're getting paid. We shouldn't be doing overworking ourselves to get here. Uh, so one thing we tend to do is um, when he'll be first aiding or I'll be second aiding, uh, we'll go to work and instead of me coming in like four hours early he'll have me come in like four hours later and then he'll leave a couple of hours early is that something that you ever do with your art director or uh how do you balance that within your own team i mean being in charge of a team you definitely puts that in into perspective oh sorry english is my first language i just don't speak it very well <laughs> um, definitely puts that into perspective a little yep. bit more because like when you're managing a team and somebody's mm -hmm. like oh i worked 16 hours you're like why the fuck did you do that and yep. then they're like but you worked 17 and you're like well mm -hmm. well i'm a head of a department it doesn't matter what yeah. i do <laughs> so like when you see people like working really hard and then like sacrificing their life sometimes you kind of have to be like hey like it's just a job mm -hmm. sometimes like if you do this and i do this or we take these jobs and we push them together then we can all get home faster and like yeah. you just kind of have to again at the day like compromise a little bit mm -hmm. with yourself and like a lot of people going into films have really like high expectations of what they need to output so sometimes yeah. you just have to remind people that like hey like you're human this is a job like please yeah. don't kill yourself for somebody else's yeah. dream yeah exactly because at the end of the day we're trying to make someone else's vision come to life and even if it's part of yours, it's not the only job you're going to do. And if you burn yourself out on this one job, then you're not going to have enough energy to get to your next job or even exactly. just to get home. Because I've been in those scenarios where maybe like like you've been doing a 16-hour day and you can't bring yourself to drive yourself home or you're getting almost home and you have to fall asleep on the side of the road. I've been in a situation that I've had to go from one job to a completely different show and I'd, I just slept in my car in the car park yeah. because I was like, it's easier than driving from Abbotsford back into uh, near UVC. <laughs> yeah. And like, I know like the sleeping thing is one thing everybody really jokes about. Ha 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 funny. Yeah. But it's like also not at the same time. No. Um, what, the thing, as I said, the first thing you sacrifice usually when you're picking up a big workload mm -hmm. is sleep. And um, in the in like the realm of like taking care of your crew, like. You can kind of see when somebody's a little bit mm -hmm. like pushed past their limit and that's kind of when you need to like pull the plug um it wasn't my crew that i was working on and like i've fallen asleep while driving but like one set deck team their driver was driving a five ton fell asleep flipped it and like skidded it down the highway so like it really put a lot of perspective into like yeah. you actually really have to take care of yourself yeah and i think uh and i mean i'm sure you can comment as a head of department it's also 
seeing that in your team when they're trying to push themselves as hard as you're trying to push yourself. But I would also say on the, the backside of that, now knowing that someone will try to push themselves as hard as you're going to push yourself, should you push yourself that hard? Absolutely not. <laughs> like, yeah. You, like, it, the, ugh, as I said, can't speak it. The loyalty of like having people who are like, we're ride or die. Yeah. We'll be with you until it's done. And then you're yeah. like, okay, but like, I can't let you do that because it's like inhumane. Yeah. Like, I've definitely had a couple of people who like soldiered through like a 17 hour day with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, never again, yeah. never again. No. It's no. just not conducive and actually pretty dangerous. Definitely. And that's uh, also why. Like one of the things I really respect about the unions is it, it will say, this is your minimum turnaround time, no matter what, depending. I mean, each union has a different rule, but especially for non-union sets, what I'd advocate for like the ADs to do is always make sure you just have your team has a 12 hour turnaround time because for situations where the art department is working for like three more hours after you wrap, at least they'll still have time to get home and get some sleep before your next day. But if you're like 10 hours <laughs> for your turnaround or you try to push the like non-union uh, eight-hour work-safe BC turnaround time, then maybe they get two hours of sleep and that's not healthy for anyone. No, not at all. So uh, so you've commented on the mental health of what happens in like the production design team. What is one thing that like this next year you're like, I want to do this better as a production designer or even in terms of mental health? What's what's your goal for next year? Um, my goal for next year is to like slow down a little bit mm -hmm. and try to hammer home the idea of like you can turn projects down and people will still hire you. Like you don't have to accept every single one. Um, and just like generally trying to like refocus my life into like straightening out the work life mm. home relationship. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't exist all the time. There are people at home that love you and miss you, Sky. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, just even yeah. like, I don't know, it's not sustainable. No, no, definitely not. So, okay, so someone is start, one of your students is starting out in the film industry. They have no idea where to begin or where to go. What do you recommend? How do we start? Um, I mean, the thing that I found was pretty easy is like if you haven't built connections mm -hmm. yet, um, is just look for like indie short films that are crew calling yep. and just being like, hey, like I'm super green, but willing to show up, willing to learn. Mm -hmm. Or just if you see in somebody in the industry that you really like admire and just being like, hey, can I either talk to you or can I come out and like just learn and try or even just have a conversation is usually the easiest way to kind of like hop on. And you find somebody that you vibe with and then you do a couple shows with them. You meet mm -hmm. other people, kind of start building yourself up and it kind of just spirals out from there. Wicked, the whole networking factor. Yeah. It's kind of part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, okay. So now we're reaching the stage that we are going to talk about questions that people have sent in. Great. So these are the quick fire questions that actually a lot of these questions have come from production designers themselves. Oh, so bad. I'm very curious to find out what your answer is. Cool, cool, cool. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> building a creative pitch. Uh, uh, grilled, uh, how do you start building a creative pitch and building a first budget breakdown? Usually when like things haven't been predetermined and everybody's kind of just in that early talking stages, um, I'll usually have like an initial meeting with the director and kind of ask the standard questions like, what are you thinking? What's your vibe? What's your reference movie? Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll kind of be like, okay, in three days, we're gonna have a meeting again. And then I will kind of take the script, break it down and then find like a vibe and a style I'll like start mm -hmm. pulling references, color palettes. Um, some like potential set deck pieces that I know that we could find that would fit the vibe. Mm -hmm. And then I hit them back again and I'm like, this is 
I read the script, broke it down. This is what I want to do visually. Does it match what you want to do? Mm-hmm. Like, is this a vibe you could look for? And they'll either be like, yep, that's great. Or they'll be like, not really super quite the vibe. Can we like chat about this? And then you kind of get that look, look locked down and then you build your budget off of that. What are your minimum meetings that you want to have with a director or even as the, the, the whole team? Um, I mean, usually the director and I will talk the most. Yeah. Um, and then I would. sometimes you can't wrangle a DOP into a mo- meeting, which mm-hmm. is usually a pain in the ass. Um, it's like Until they get tests. to the tech survey and yeah, ask and you like, for everything. Yeah, and they're like, do you want this and this and this and this? And you're like, ah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so DOP usually is the best one to talk to because mm-hmm. if you can wrangle those two together and you guys can kind of come up with a cohesive look and be like, this is kind of what we're looking, DOPs always want to know how many practicals you have in every single room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so those are kind of the main ones and then you want to like nail down your props and your costumes and just kind of make sure everybody's on the right vibe cool awesome so at, at least trying to get a meeting with all those creatives definitely yeah perfect and what are some extra red flags that would drop a project for you we've spoken a little bit about this and to extend on that what would make you walk out on a project on the day um the biggest project I've walked out to, oh, and I'm talking like to the minute, like it was gone, yeah. um, is how they speak to their crew in safety. Mm-hmm. I dropped a Bruce Willis movie a week before it went to picture because they were being unsafe and being like downright terrible to their mm-hmm. crew. So like you kind of kind of trust the way that they talk about safety. And if they don't take it seriously, then mm-hmm. like you can't really, as a, like as a HOD, put your team in an unsafe position. Yeah. And if they just don't genuinely respect the people they're working with, they're not going to respect you. Definitely. No, I, I agree. And someone in my role, safety is like the biggest concern because yeah, yeah. we are the first people to get thrown into the, the firing range with the yeah. lawyers when something goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did this happen? How did you? I'm like, oh, man, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are the most important qualities of a production designer in your eyes? Ooh, I don't know. I don't even know if I have those qualities, but we'll try. Um, I think like adaptability is kind of a big one because you kind of at the end of the day are like flying by the seat of your pants Mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, Preparation and like organization and then just like general respect. Sure. Yeah. And is that just general respect for the rest of your team or trying to get general respect back to you? So like general respect for your team and like the people on your crew, but also respecting your crew enough that like if production is trying to screw them over, you have like the backbone to be like, hey man, mm-hmm. like as a production designer, your crew is your biggest asset. Yeah. So if they're happy and they're healthy and they're like thriving and having a good time, mm-hmm. then you are happy and healthy. But if like there's a problem with like the lowest person on your crew, then like mm-hmm. that is your problem. Does yeah. That make sense? A hundred percent, because it's one of those things at the end of the day, like we are a team, we have each other's backs. And if you don't have the lowest person in your team's back, how can they try to have your back when you're doing exactly. when you're in the ruts? Exactly. Trench lines, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is what are the most annoying? Let me rephrase this. What are the most annoying things you have encountered on set? Oh, God, I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> Um, it's just like, I'm trying not to like shit on grips, but it's so hard. I love grips. <laughs> grips are great. And they're like super helpful and generally like really good at their craft. Yeah. But sometimes a lot, and it's not just grips. It's like most departments don't actually understand the art department. Mm-hmm. Like you'll get like teams that are like, oh my God, the art department's great. Like look what they did. And they're sometimes like, they did arts and crafts in the basement and now they're fucking here. Yeah. So like <laughs> sometimes you have to like, I don't want to say like be a little bit more like, intense with like hey please don't move this like don't 
cover your set and shit. Mm. Like I literally built a set once and in the middle of the night, the DOP decided that it was in the wrong spot after a week and a half of meetings, grabbed the whole thing and pulled and cracked all of it and destroyed like a day and a half of work just because they thought it was the wrong spot. And then the next morning we're like, you can fix this, right? And you're like, no, fuck, I can't. <laughs> you can fix you it. You can fix it. <laughs> so like, I'd say like, I don't want to say lack of respect, but yep. like lack of awareness. It's mm. kind of a thing that like everybody in the art department has to like deal with yeah. and usually fight. No, no, I agree. And it's like, it's, it's also something that like, I've noticed a lot on my sets and it's probably something that I can, I can probably ease the stress of the art department more if I was more aware of it is making sure like when you're going into a set and someone wants to move something, at least making the art department aware that, hey, we're going to move this. Is that cool? Or can we fly someone in here that uh, that up. can move it themselves and just rearrange this whole area? Because maybe it's not the vibe and maybe it does need to be moved. But if you move it and then you change shots, you can't blame the art department for why exactly. the thing isn't there again. <laughs> it becomes like a huge deal when it's like the Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones. Like, yeah. Somebody could have got that, you know? You like, know what? Actually, funny, completely derailing, but funny story <laughs> about that. It was a visual effects artist who cropped that in in post. It wasn't a real cup. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's my fun fact that I have. Uh, I have never fact-checked this. I got told <laughs> by a visual effects artist that it was someone who was really pissed off at their job and put it in there before it got to the after it went through all the edits and it was like the last man before it got released. Okay, I actually respect that. Yeah. But like my argument still stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't have those issues. Yeah. It's the final final check before it gets to picture. I think it's like, it's one of those things when, one thing that I'd say like is not that well known that when you like call out finals, it's kind of like for the final look from everyone. It's not just like hair, makeup. It's for anyone to be like, oh, like, hey, uh, just by the way, this thing's like messed up here. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's very good note that like people should be more socially aware of just set etiquette and like what the art department does and how long it takes to do it. Yeah. Of course I'm biased and there's probably things that like we do that we don't realize pisses other departments off, but that's yeah. the point of your podcast. Yeah. So, like, our shit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it's also to let people know, like, this is what you're going to have to encounter. You will be pissed off at other departments for moving your set. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Like immediately. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? Do you consider the most and least enjoyable parts of production designing? Um, I'd say, like, the most enjoyable is, like, I mean, in my opinion, like, when you build a set and people come in the morning, like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, it looks yeah. so different. And you're like, fuck, yeah, nailed it. Yeah. Like, trying to, like, you know. Um, the least enjoyable is probably, like, the logistics side mm -hmm. of it and, like, just, like, managing where things need to be mm -hmm. and it's like at the end of the day you're like stressed out and arguing over like moving stuff yeah but like holy crap it takes over your whole life mm -hmm. yeah i would even add to that like managing the return of all the stuff yeah. especially if you have all these different production houses yeah actually that's interesting is that something that you deal with a lot or do you like try to keep it to certain production houses um again it depends on like the scope of the show and what you're looking for if you're doing like a period piece you've really got your fingers in like all of them and mm -hmm. you have to like really be organized to make sure that you're not chasing down prop mm -hmm. houses and trying to return things to different mm -hmm. areas so yeah it can be it can be a lot how do you is there a recommendation that you have do you like 
label your truck or something. <laughs> um, usually the fastest and like the easiest way to do it is have really good transport orders for your team. Mm -hmm. So like everything you're getting from this prop house goes in the document and then like everything from the other prop house goes in a document and they're mm -hmm. all like in that folder and then it's, it all comes down to organization. Okay. Would you say that you're a very organized production designer? Yes. And my entire personal life yeah. is a fucking disaster. Yeah. But when it comes to that thing, <laughs> organized. <laughs> no, I feel you. I'm like, oh, this is the one thing I'm good at. So let yeah. me really be good at this. But my home life, mess. Yeah. Messy, oh, messy, messy. Can't have both. No, I can I can organize my documents, but I can't organize my shoes. Yeah. Oh, they are oh, everywhere oh. in the house. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And any parting words of wisdoms for a new green production designer who just wants to get it? Ooh. I would say, again, like know your limits and your boundaries, because when you're new and you're green and, as I said, trying to get in the art department that is often taken advantage of, you really got to know when to like say enough is enough and walk away. If you say enough enough and leave, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And like you will probably be better off for it. Trust yeah. your gut, basically. No, 100 percent. The amount of people that I've seen that have walked away from a project and been hired on many other projects. It's yeah. not the end of the world if you walk away from this one shitty project treating you like shit. Yeah, if you got to jump off the sinking ship yeah. to save your life, yeah. I guarantee you're not going to feel bad. No, 100%. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming onto this podcast with us. If anyone's listening to this and they're like, Sky is the person I need, Sky is the person <laughs> I want, what are your socials? How can we reach you? Um, I mean, Instagram's kind of the best one. Um, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to, like, hashtag drop. Yeah. Uh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my personal, like, slash work Instagram mm -hmm. is a Skylord because I don't have that separate. And then my work one is Production Design Hotline. Perfect. And we'll also put it at the bottom here so uh, people can have the right spelling. They can definitely reach you. Now, one last question for you. Am I able to put something at the end of this video, like your website, or do you have a demo reel that you want me to put? What do you want me to put at the end of this so that we can really see what you're about? I have a Google Drive, but I can send you some videos because I don't have a website yet. <laughs> Perfect. We'll put some links at the end of this Amazing. and people can watch your work. Cool. Awesome. Cool, cool. Thanks again for being on here with us today, Skye. Thanks for having me. And that's What's Your 20 with Carl Figueredo. Thank you.